You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host... Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and this week we have an interview with a sales call reluctance coach. Connie Kodansky joins us today to talk to us about making those sales calls and why some people might be having trouble actually picking up the phone and making those calls. I am a big believer that sales jobs can be fantastic for the amount of wealth generation you can have, the amount of personal growth, and the amount of eventual financial freedom you can get from having these kinds of jobs. So we have Connie on the show with us today to talk with us about that. She is an expert who has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and in Forbes magazine. We are really happy to have her on the show today. So without further ado, Connie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here. Now for the audience out there, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty, but you know what? After a little bit of stumbling and me hitting my head with a brick a couple times, we managed to get it to work right, a slight sacrifice to the gods, but we're good to go. Connie, I am so glad, even after all that trouble, you managed to stick around with me and we're still talking. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. (laughs) Alrighty, so Connie, while we have you on the show and have you here, would you mind going a little into what it is you do, your specialty, and just your history? Well, I'm a sales call reluctance coach. Sales call reluctance is that emotional hesitation to prospect and self-promote. Salespeople must stay out there. They must keep their pipeline full. They must be visible. They must be proactive. And believe it or not, there is a lot of fear and vulnerability that comes into play. So that's what I have been doing for 25 years. And also, I was a salesperson that had sales call reluctance. And uh, I was looking to solve my own issue because I was taking a nap at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So how many salespeople are out there taking a nap at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because they're exhausted because of the energy it takes to consistently prospect So I solved my own call reluctance and I just really resonated with the cognitive behavioral psychology that was involved. And so that's how much fun I have all day long. (laughs) So would you mind taking a second and just describing what exactly is prospecting and what that process is? Well, when you look at a basic sales model, there are five steps. So the first thing that you do as a salesperson is you need to identify your prospect, your ideal dream come true prospect. The second step is you must initiate contact. And that is the toughest part to be able to get a hold, get in touch, get in communication with your ideal prospect. And the third step is, you know, how to introduce yourself. You have to have that value proposition to find out if they have an interest in what you are promoting. Then the fourth step, which is really the most fun of all, is having that one-on-one meeting with the prospect. And that's where most sales trainers come into play. They skip 
step one, step two, step three, and start teaching. Now you're in front of your ideal prospect. This is what you do. Now that's vitally important. However, that's the fourth step. And then the fifth step is to influence them to buy from you. So when we're prospecting, in reality, we're making an unsolicited call, an unsolicited proactive outreach. And that's where all this emotional hesitation comes into play. Okay, so it sounds like we have a four-step process, and forgive me for butchering it. Let's see if I can't, no, I'm sorry, a five-step process. Let me see if I can't summarize a little bit. Step one, who are you looking for? You got to kind of get that figured out. Step two, how do I get in contact with this person, and how do I get past the gatekeeper if such person exists? Step three, you got to make that call and really introduce yourself. Step four, you have that introductory conversation. You know, you've gotten through everybody. You have the person. You've made the initial contact. Let's establish myself. Let's have a lunch meeting. Let's do all this good stuff. And I'm so sorry. I missed out on the fifth step. Is uh, Oh, persuading them, establishing why they need to buy from you. Yes, influencing them to buy from you. Gotcha. Say, I knew I was missing something there, but I had it. I had it. I redeemed myself. <laughs> okay, so we have the five steps, but... The gap in the market that you've seen is that everyone focuses on step five. Okay, you are sitting at the desk across from the person. Here's what you say. But what you specialize in is the first four steps. How do you find the people? How do you introduce yourself? And how do you really establish yourself? Is that about right? Yes. So initiating contact and introducing yourself, 80% of it is an emotional exercise and that is where the call reluctance comes in because salespeople are uncertain. When we're reaching out, there's uncertainty, there's some risk, and there's also emotional exposure. So that is what it plays a huge part in causing salespeople to hesitate. Okay. And then I really want to get more into the sales process and more specifically what it is you do. But I want to take a second and talk to the audience for a minute here. Now, I have Connie on the show today because she is an expert. She is a coach. She has been working in sales for over 20 years. And as some of you know, most of my podcast is teaching the basics of finance. But a big part of that as well is I like talking about the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early. And one of the big tenets of that is get a sales job. Because if you get a sales job, there's all kinds of benefits. It can really help you get to where you want to go faster. So... The opportunity came to talk to Connie and I was like, yes, let's go ahead and bring her on. So Connie, while we have someone here who has such a wealth of knowledge, would you mind talking a little bit about why a sales job might be a great option for some people? The world revolves around selling. So all selling is, is solving people's problem for a profit. That's it. And it does require presence and sophistication and confidence and belief in your product and your service. So there's a lot of complexity in it. However, you get in there and you do the work, it can be loads of fun and challenging at the same time. And there is no cap on earnings. And it really requires a mindset. And so we hear about mindset all the time. What's the mindset? And what I really do is work with people on asking them the question, so who sets your mind? 
What part of you is going to set your mind to be successful? What part of you is going to really light the fire within yourself? Because Alex, in reality, the 80-20 rule, 20% of the salespeople are selling 80%. And my goal is to help people really build on their success, build on their skills, but also enlighten people to how that they can overcome what their their call reluctance and they really and truly can overcome the sabotaging habits that keep them from being successful. So there's a lot of gratification there in helping people light the fire within themselves. Oftentimes, salespeople are trying to light the fire under themselves, and it's unsustainable. Okay. So it sounds like we're really trying to... I mean, really, you don't even have to be the best. It sounds like I really love the 80-20 rule and it's applicable to many things. And essentially, I mean, sales is one of those, but you don't even have to be the best seller, the number one seller, the top 10. If you can get to the top 20%, you're a top performer. That's just how mathematics rolls sometimes. Now, I know for a lot of people, most of us aren't naturally extroverted. Now, me, I can talk to people all day long, but that's because I'm sitting in my cave with a very expensive microphone and audio setup. But for some, that's not quite the case. So sales call reluctance. I've never heard it called that until we started talking, but it really describes the phenomenon perfectly because you might have a fantastic product to sell, but if you're too afraid to pick up that phone, dial the number, and really sell that product, you're you might not keep your job a long time. So... What are some steps to overcoming that sales call reluctance and how you can kind of keep your pipeline full of those prospects? Well, to really recognize there are four steps. And the first one is to become aware. So how do you become aware whether you have sales call reluctance? So where you do is you look at your calendar. How many new appointments do you have this week? And then you also take a peek at your bank statement. How much money is in your bank account? Because those are the two places that call reluctance shows up first, in your calendar and in your bank account. And to be able to just recognize that, I'm aware that I am not getting in front of enough people. And also, Alex, I want to pause here, too, because call reluctance, people think, well, that's just picking up the phone and using the phone. There are 16 types of call reluctance and telephobia, the fear of using the phone to proactively prospect is just one of the 16 types. And believe it or not, it's one of the easiest to overcome. And we'll talk about the other types. So going back to how do you solve your call reluctance, you become aware of it and then you assess it and find out, is it really call reluctance? Because sometimes people think they have call reluctance. In reality, they don't really want to do what they're doing or they don't have the physical and psychological energy that it takes to prospect. So that's an imposter. It looks like call reluctance, but it's a deeper issue. And we have an assessment that people take and we can 
actually diagnose whether they have an imposter or whether it is truly called reluctance. And also on my website, I have a complimentary assessment. It's called the Prospecting EKG. And you can just zip through that and take a self-assessment and find out there. So the second one is to assess. The third is you have to admit it. And that is often <laughs> the hardest part for people to say, oh, I admit I have call reluctance because I didn't know what I had when I was experiencing call reluctance. And I got the books, The Psychology of Sales Call Reluctance. And once I started reading it, I thought, oh, no, I have this call reluctance. So you have to admit it. And then the fourth step is to apply proven techniques to overcome it. And it's not one and done. It is a process. It is a mastery. However, I have figured out over the years on how to fast track helping people overcome that reluctance. Okay. And for the audience out there, those links to those assessments are going to be shown in the description below. So would you mind going a little bit into that? We had the sales call reluctance, which you have to identify that you have it. You have to diagnose whether it really is there, and then you have to admit it. And then all of that is on your website. Links to that are going to be below. So what are the next steps? Like, how do you work on it once you recognize that, yes, I have a problem and you are able to admit it to yourself? Well, it is really becoming acutely aware and so many times, so call reluctance, it's a mental habit that people have where they reach to pick up the phone, they think about calling one of their current customers that love them, and they think about, hey, maybe I should leverage these relationships of our current customers and ask them who that they could introduce me to, so leveraging relationships. And you've just become really aware of what causes you to hesitate. So we hold up a mirror for people and they look in and it takes humility to look in. It takes humility to admit it and to recognize now what is causing me to hesitate. So it's very disempowering. So think about if somebody has made their prospecting list and they reach for that phone and they hesitate to really take a deep breath and ask themselves, what is causing me to hesitate? What is the disempowering thought that is causing me to hesitate? And to be able to be really authentic with yourself because that's how people sabotage. And the saboteurs are always trying to keep people protected. And the saboteurs will say, well, they already have somebody. They already love their current vendor. And so the salesperson is actually projecting onto the prospect of how they're going to respond. Well, that is very disempowering. And so that's the key. So when people become more aware, it's through self-reflection, discerning self-reflection. So they don't get all down on themselves and say, oh my gosh, here I go again. I'm just hesitating and I keep disrupting myself. No, just very gently to ask themselves, what is causing me to hesitate? 
and write it down because your freedom is in writing it down, getting it on paper. Because then when we do that, we can intercept it and we can replace it with an empowering thought versus disempowering. So helping people reclaim their power and power is the capacity to act on taking care of what you care about. So that's how we just really slow people down so they can connect to what they really care about so that they can discerningly slow down. And that is what is required to get on the other side of the call reluctance. Okay. And then something I've been wondering is that you made very clear earlier in the episode that you are not a trainer, you are a coach. So I'm wondering what exactly that coaching relationship looks like. I'm assuming some kind of one-on-one talking with them, working with them, but would you mind going a little bit into the coaching aspect and what it is you offer? So coaching is an intentional conversation that client and coach have around what is it that the client wants to get that they do not have. And so really zeroing in on what's important to the client. And I'm a master certified coach. And so I coach the person, not their call reluctance. So I do a little bit of teaching to help them become aware with cognitive behavioral psychology, with neuroscience, performance psychology, positive psychology, all intertwined. And so that I coach the person around their relationship with the sales call reluctance. And that's where we slow down And I have particular methodologies that can really facilitate the self-awareness. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out package of a large number of weeks. It can be pretty intensive for maybe eight weeks. And out of that, they truly can have some transformation. And so coaching is 24-7. And so I often give people some ponderings throughout the week, different assignments so that they can become aware. And also I work with a daily app. And that app helps them be more cognizant throughout the day on how they're choosing to think about their new business development. Alrighty, and I can definitely agree with you on the timeline thing, because it sounds like there's a lot of introspection that needs to be done. And as far as how long it takes to really overcome this depends on, I guess, how willing you are in the process. Because, I mean, if you look into your mirror and say, you know what, maybe this is the problem I have, or maybe this isn't the problem I have, I mean, if you accept it, admit it, and just kind of, I guess, cop to it and say, okay, now how do I improve, then I imagine it's a rather... I don't want to say quick process, but let's say quicker than, you know, you fight it. You know, oh, I'm trying to make these calls and, you know, the calls aren't working. It's not happening. I'm not whatever. I'm getting doors slammed in my face. Uh, I don't know what it is. So I'm reaching out as a last resort. So I'm, I can definitely see the variability in the amount of not just work it takes to really fix the problem, the core issue, but also with how long they're going to be in the program for. 
Yes, yes. Because when salespeople become aware of what throws them down the self-doubt spiral and they can recognize it, they can stop it. And that is where that humility comes in and people need to be coachable and they need to take it personal because intellectualizing call reluctance is just doesn't work because it's an emotional exercise. We're reaching out to people that may not know us well. They may have a need, but they have different things going on in their life. And so the goal here is to find out from the prospect three basic things when we're prospecting is, is this prospect interested in my product or service? That's number one. And number two is, do they really care? Do they care about solving their problem? And then we move them into number three. Are they willing to make a commitment to move to the next step? So it's really shared interest. Is there a shared interest? Is there a shared care? And is there a shared commitment that they're willing to be open in order to have further conversation. Sounds very good. Sounds very concise. Definitely sounds like you've done this once or twice before. (laughs) So we talked earlier a little bit about there are 16 different ways that sales call reluctance can really manifest itself. We talked about the number one and number two. Is there maybe another one or two you'd like to share? Well, one of the type is role rejection, and you intimated this and brought this up earlier, where people are just not comfortable with selling, or they have bought into a negative stereotype car salesperson, and so they're secretly ashamed of what they do. And it's catastrophic, even for people who they have the ambition to move forward, but at the, they nag at themselves that they're not really acceptable in the eyes of the prospect. And it is so unnecessary. And what we have found over the years that the number one carrier of call reluctance are the sales managers and the sales trainers. Because they're trying to, they're contaminating the very people they intend to inspire. So people need to be comfortable that they are of value and their product and services of value. But when they get that role rejection, that they're rejecting the role that they're actually in, it is devastating. And they can even be good at what they do, but they're not happy when they actually close a sale. So that's one that needs to be really taking a deeper look at. And then yielder call reluctance is the number one type of call reluctance. And what that means, the salespeople with yielder call reluctance, they are all about relationship. And they're more focused on the relationship with the prospect than the actual solving the prospect's problem. So they get too friendly, wishy-washy, rapport building, and they lose focus. And when they have that yield or call reluctance, they often can have close reluctance when it's time to close the sale 
they're backing up because they're, they're getting a little bit nervous because they want to just be comfortable. So those are the predominant two. And then I'll just throw in another one that I had was intimidated by an upscale clientele. So there are people who are intimidated by wealth and education and prestige. So they're comfortable prospecting at a particular level. However, with financial advisors, and they are calling people that may have more wealth than them, they can get intimidated by that upscale buyer. So kind of a who am I to be selling this product to these people kind of thing. You got it. Okay, so give me a baseline here, because I assume that you've worked with all kinds of salespeople in all kinds of different industries, I mean, probably all over the country. So what is maybe a good baseline for how many calls you should be making in a week? Or what kind of expectations there should be for, you know, getting a call back or the response rate? Well, that's where it gets tricky. Now, with newer salespeople, 20 conversations a day and you will hit the ball out of the park. There are people that are making 60 calls a day in order to get to their 20. Now that that's quite a bit of call, right? And so it depends on people. If people are seasoned, then they may know they only need to make five or 10 outreaches a day. And I always recommend that people consistently, five days a week, proactively prospect. It doesn't matter if you have appointments that day, stay in the mode because what happens, sometimes people put so much energy in building their business that they exhaust themselves. And then once they get their appointments set, they lean back, take a deep breath and they get out of that habit. So getting into the habit of making consistent prospecting calls and outreaches on a daily basis. And what I do is I make it fun. And in my office, I have an abacus and I'll, I'll show you, I know the audience can't see it. And then I actually <laughs> keep track of it here. And every time I do anything that is getting me closer to a conversation, closer to a sale, I just move one of those little beads over and this motivates me. So I'm constantly keeping that in mind. So that's another fun thing that I encourage people to do because you can't manage what you don't measure and whatever you measure improves. So salespeople need to be measuring and counting. Okay. I a hundred percent agree with that. That was one of the things that was drilled into me in one of my management classes in college is that what does not get tracked does not get managed. So if you're trying to improve something, but you're not tracking it, well, how do you know if there is an improvement? How do you know if you're doing better than you were before? Or maybe you're doing worse and it just feels like you're doing something good. So 100% agree there. And going along with those lines, what is something, is there a software or you know app or anything that you recommend to track your calls or maybe something... I don't know, a reminder on your desk, did you make your 20 calls today or did you make your 40 calls, whatever? What kinds of maybe assistance devices, be it an app, a calendar, something you have on your desk, kind of like your abdicus, uh, what do you use to help track those calls? Well, a lot of the CRM 
software programs will do that for people. And then that's a way for managers can keep track of their salespeople. And if salespeople are really using, let's say, Salesforce, wow, it is all in there. You cannot deny it. And there are companies that actually will record the calls and they know how many calls that people are making for an entrepreneur or a small business person just makes get something fun. I was coaching a insurance agent who had a nice practice and a nice agency. However, he wanted to start selling more life insurance. And so he went to the bank and got 10 silver dollars. And his goal was to move a pile of silver dollars from one place to the other every single day. And so every call he would make, every outreach he would make, he would just pick up one of those silver dollars and move it over to a a different part of his desk. And so that was constantly a reminder When he started doing that, he just started selling more life insurance. So he made it fun and creative. Some people just make tick marks. I encourage you to find something. I had somebody who loves to play golf and he used golf tees as putting them on one part of his desk and every call he made, he moved that tee over there and that would keep him moving and and it just was fun for him. So that's what I recommend. You know, that sounds very familiar. Like, I could have swore I read that in a book or maybe an article somewhere where it's like, have two jars on your desk. At the beginning of the week, have all of the, you know, bouncy balls, jacks, whatever in the left jar. And then every time you make a call, move one of whatever's in the jar from the left jar to the right jar. And the goal is to empty the left jar by the end of the week. I I swear I've read that somewhere. Well, it works. When I first started my business... I had some crystals and I would move 83 a week and wow, my business just took off like crazy. And (laughs) it was, and again, I was highly motivated. I really knew what was important to me. And so even when I had some car reluctance, I would move through it because that's another thing with people, even though it's uncomfortable, If you have the attitude of, I'm going to do this come what may, meaning I'm going to do this no matter what. And the more that we do it, the more comfortable we get with it, then it can turn into actual where, and I hate to say this because salespeople usually kind of look at me with contempt, it can be turned out to be challenging and fun. And you can really get good at your outreach. Well, I should hope so. I mean, if you can't get good, you might be in the wrong career field. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, Connie. So let me ask you this. If there are members of my audience who want to learn more about you, more about what you do, and especially your business, I don't think we've mentioned your website. I know we've referenced it, but I don't think we said the name of it this entire episode. But if my audience wants to connect with you or learn more about you and just reach out, where can they do that? Exceptionalsales.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and you can certainly give me a call. And that number is 
5431. If you're call reluctant, you can certainly send me an email, Connie at exceptionalsales.com. And when you go to my website, there is a free report that is exceptionally good and it also includes that free assessment that it is an opt-in report so guess what you're you'll put your name in there and you may get a call from me it's okay and you will go on to my newsletter list and i work hard on my newsletter so you can feel free to go there and get that free report too well, alrighty, and links to all of that, the phone number, the website, the LinkedIn, all of that will be listed below, and I can 100% guarantee you as the host of this episode that Connie will have zero reluctance about giving you a call. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> alrighty, Connie, just think, I mean, guys, you might be one of her, what was it, 87 uh, things you'd move, crystals you'd move around? 83. 83. I was close. So close. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So you guys know what time it is now. As usual, I did not prepare Connie. She does not know what question is coming up next. Uh, although she did tell me she was listening to some previous episodes. So she might know, but I can't help that. So Connie, <laughs> is there one piece of advice or maybe one mic drop statement that you'd like to leave us with today? Yes. To ask yourself, what's it going to feel like when I stop sabotaging my prospecting activity? What's it going to feel like when I am free from sales call reluctance? And really allow yourself to ponder that because it is so possible. Sales call reluctance is nothing to be embarrassed about. Living with it needlessly is. Beautiful. I mean, for not being prepared, you definitely seemed ready for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a lot of fun talking to you. And you know what? I might have to get me something to put on my desk now. Okay. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate you. Oh, it's no problem at all. For all you guys at home, you have all kinds of links in the description. Be sure to go check out Connie. Check out her website. And I don't think we've mentioned it so far, but she's been listed in the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg and Forbes. I'm going to have some articles for where she's been listed below. Check that out, and until then, I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.